His wife knew enough now not to wait for him to come and eat with them. On a night with the moon he could see some of the smoke rising from the world that was the lane. Home and food and rest and what passed in many cabins for the life of family. He turned his head slightly to the right and made out what he thought was the sound of playing children. But when he turned his head back, he could hear far more clearly the last bird of the day as it evening chirped in the small forest far off to the left. He went straight ahead, to the farthest edge of the cornfields to a patch of woods that had yielded nothing of value since the day his master bought it from a white man who had gone broke and returned to Ireland. I did well over there. That man lied to his people back in Ireland, his dying wife standing hunched over beside him. But I longed for all of you and for the wealth of my homeland. The patch of woods of no more than three acres did yield some soft blue grass that no animal would touch and many trees that no one could identify. Just before Moses stepped into the woods, the rain began, and as he walked on, the rain became heavier. Well into the forest, the rain came in torrents through the trees and the mighty summer leaves, and after a bit, Moses stopped and held out his hands and collected water that he washed over his face. Then he undressed down to his nakedness and lay down. To keep the rain out of his nose, he rolled up his shirt and placed it under his head so that it tilted just enough for the rain to flow down about his face. When he was an old man and rheumatism chained up his body, he would look back and blame the chains on evenings such as these, and on nights when he lost himself completely and fell asleep and didn't come to until morning covered with dew. The ground was almost soaked. The leaves seemed to soften the hard rain as it fell and it hid his body and face with no more power than the gentle tapping of fingers. He opened his mouth. It was rare for him in the rain to meet up like this. His eyes had remained open, and after taking in all that he could without turning his head, he took up his thing and did it. When he was done, after a few strokes, he closed his eyes, turned on his side, and dozed. After a half hour or so, the rain stopped abruptly and plunged everything into silence, and that silence woke him. He came to his feet with the usual reluctance. All about his body was mud and leaves and debris, for the rain had sent a wind through the woods. He wiped himself with his pants and remembered that the last time he had been there in the rain, the rain had lasted long enough to wash him clean. He had been seized then by an even greater happiness and had laughed and twirled himself around and around in what someone watching him might have called a dance. He did not know it, but Alice, a woman people said had lost her mind, was watching him now. Only the first time in her six months of wandering about in the night that she had come upon him. Had he known she was there, he would not have thought she had sense enough to know what was going on, given how hard the story went. The mule had kicked her on the plantation in a faraway county whose name only she remembered. In her saner moments, which were very rare since the day Moses's master bought her, Alice could describe everything about the Sunday the mule kicked her in the head and sent all common sense flying out of her. No one questioned her because her story was so vivid, so sad. Another slave without freedom, and now she had a mind so addled she wandered in the night like a cow without a bell. No one knew enough about the place she had come from to know that her former master was terrified of mules and would not have them on his place, had even banished pictures and books about mules from his little world.
Moses walked out of the forest and into still more darkness toward the quarters, needing no moon to light his way. He was thirty-five years old, and for every moment of those years he had been someone's slave, a white man's slave, and then another white man's slave, and now, for nearly ten years, the overseer slave for a black master. Caldonia Townsend, his master's wife, had for the last six days and nights only been catnapping, as her husband made his hard way toward death. The white people's doctor had come the morning of the first day as a favor to Caldonia's mother, who believed in the magic of white people. But that doctor had only pronounced that Moses's master, Henry Townsend, was going through a bad spell and would recover soon. The ailments of white people and black people were different, and a man who specialized in one was not expected to know much about the other, and that was something he believed Caldonia should know without him telling her. If her husband was dying, the doctor didn't know anything about it. And he left in the heat of the day, having pocketed seventy-five cents from Caldonia, sixty cents for looking at Henry, and fifteen cents for the wear and tear on himself and his buggy and his one-eyed horse. Henry Townsend, a black man of thirty-one years, with thirty-three slaves and more than fifty acres of land that sat him high above many others, white and black, in Manchester County, Virginia, sat up in bed for most of his dying days, eating a watery porridge and looking out his window at land his wife Caldonia kept telling him he would walk and ride over again. But she was young and naively vigorous and had known but one death in her life, that of her father, who had been secretly poisoned by his own wife. On the fourth day on his way to death, Henry found sitting up difficult and lay down. He spent that night trying to reassure his wife. Nothing hurts, he said more than once that day, a day in July, 1855. Nothing hurts. Would you tell me if it did, Caldonia said. It was near about three in the morning, two hours or so after she had dismissed for the evening Loretta, her personal maid, the one who had come with her marriage to Henry. I ain't took on the habit of not telling you the truth, Henry said that fourth evening. I can't start now. He had received some education when he was twenty and twenty-one, educated just enough to appreciate a wife like Caldonia, a colored woman born free and who had been educated all her days. Finding a wife had been near the end of a list of things he planned to do with his life. Why don't you go on to bed, darling? Henry said. I can feel sleep coming on, and you shouldn't wait for it to get here. He was in what the slaves who worked in the house called the sick and getting well room, where he had taken himself that first sick day to give Caldonia some peace at night. I'm fine right here, she said. The night had gotten cooler, and he was in fresh night clothes, having sweated through the ones they had put him in at about nine o'clock. Should I read to you? Caldonia said, covered in a lace shawl Henry had seen in Richmond. He had paid a white boy to go into the white man's shop to purchase it for him, because the shop would have no black customers. A bit of Milton, or the Bible? She was curled up in a large horsehair chair that had been pulled up to his bed. On either side of the bed were small tables, 
each just large enough for a book and a candelabrum that held three candles as thick as a woman's wrist. The candelabrum on the right side was dark, and the one on the left had only one burning candle. There was no fire in the hearth. I've been so weary of Milton, Henry said, and the Bible suits me better in the day when there's sun and I can see what all God gave me. Two days before he had told his parents to go home, that he was doing better, and he had indeed felt some improvement. But on the next day, after his folks were back at their place, Henry took a turn back to bad. He and his father had not been close for more than ten years, but his father was a man strong enough to put aside disappointment in his son when he knew his flesh and blood was sick. In fact, the only time his father had come to see Henry on the plantation was when the son had been doing poorly. Some seven times in the course of ten years or so. When Henry's mother visited alone, whether he was ill or well, she stayed in the house, two rooms down from her son in Caledonia. The day Henry sent them home, his parents had come upstairs and kissed his smiling face goodbye, his mother on the lips and his father on the forehead the way it had been done since Henry was a boy. His parents as a couple had never slept in the home he and Moses the slave had built, choosing to stay in whatever cabin was available down in the quarters, and they would do it that way when they came to bury their only child. Shall I sing? Caldonia said, and reached over and touched his hand resting at the side of the bed. Shall I sing till the birds wake up? She had been educated by a freed black woman who herself had been educated in Washington, D.C. and Richmond. That woman, Fern Elston, had returned to her own plantation after visiting the town's...